uh, this is for Carol. What lessons can our audience working in, in the business or corporation take with them when it comes to um, implementing a more uh, climate-friendly you know, approach to, to their business? Yeah. I think what Tessa said, start to measure what matters to you. And then, because people want to act and do the right things, but are people rewarded for doing these things? And measuring, it's one of the crucial things to give the recognition and secure that we are doing the right, taking the right actions. At the same time, it's enabling us to stay within the challenging topics because it's so easy to say, okay, I'm doing this project now, I'm going for that one, but what is the impact at the end? Oh, let's check what was the impact actually on it. We need to go from the actually science base and say like, what's the actions we need to take to reduce the impact. So I would say start with measuring what matters, look through the planetary boundaries, and uh, this is the good way to start. Victor or Tessa, do you have any take do you want to comment on? Yeah, what is important uh, if you want to start to measure, because that mainly is done by, for example, in larger companies, the sustainability departments. Um, so I think what is actually also crucial to that is to really put it on the plate of the board of directors or, if, or on the CEOs or on the founders. So it has to be um, uh, fully uh, supported by the, by the management uh, of a company uh, in order to get it moving. Can I, can I add something? Is that okay? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, in measuring and, and corporate action. So I'm, I'm a political scientist myself, so that's how, how I look at it. And, and I think what we've been seeing, this sometimes too much of an emphasis on collecting and gathering information data and measuring it and waiting for the perfect metric. And there is no perfect metric. I mean, at some point, you just need to collect that info and, and start to act. And I think the world is looking at the business community and the business community saying we're on a journey towards sustainability journey. And the rest of us are like, hurry up, guys. I mean, you're barely walking mm. now. You need to jump into an electric car and speed up because it's urgent, mm. right? So, so I think the sense of urgency is quite important now. So mo moving, not waiting for perfect data. Thank you. We have a question. Yes, hello. My name is Linda. Nice to meet you. Uh, here. Oh, thank you. Sorry, <laughs> behind the pillar. Hey, Carol. Uh, thank you for the topic. I work at a design bureau in Malmö called Inuse, and I have a question, maybe mainly for Carol, but uh, how do you go about the net zero goal uh, when the core business is consumption and we as individuals need to hold on for a share for like 80 years? What, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah. So I think with the net zero, what is great that is putting the boundaries for you, that within which you need to start operate. So it's not only the long-term commitment, actually, but you need to translate what is my impact today and what will be in the year to go, what will be the next year. And then you are decreasing this one, and you are bringing this as a part of the business challenge. Because at the end, the business is about solving the issues and finding the best solutions to be relevant. And today, to be relevant, you have to find the solutions within these limitations that are here that we didn't acknowledge in the past to the same extent as a humanity. So that's how we are working on it. So for example, each IKEA retail market has the uh, CO2 or greenhouse gas emissions budget 
each year, which is being signed off, and then they are growing and developing the business within this uh, budget. And that's, that's the way we do. Because we, we need to unleash the entrepreneurship of the many across organizations. And I think that's something what we saw in the past, that uh, sustainability departments were having end-to-end -end responsibility. This is against any human, uh, I think, uh, rights in a way, because it's putting so much pressure on few people within organization. And you don't have enough tools to make it happen. And this is so important to actually empower everyone to come with the solution. And this is as well attracting the talents, because people want to work with the right things today. We have a question over there. Yeah. All right. Uh, hey, uh, my name is Anders. I guess I work a lot right now on the intersection between innovation and real estate. Um, my question, I guess, is to Carol to begin with, but I would like for the other two of you to answer as well. It sounds to me like your agenda and your work is quite radical. Mm. If your work is radical, it also means that you must have resistance internally. What does your resistance look like and how does that affect your work. Yeah, I think uh, what was mentioned before by Tessa that you need to have the mandate from the management board, from the supervisory board to make it happen, which I think it's as well saying that's the direction that we are going. So it's eliminating some of the resistance. But I think the biggest resistance that I see is actually knowledge and measurements, because you need to deal with imperfect measurements and define about the actions. But as quickly as we are able to empower people, I think that's where the magic is, is happening, you know, because we all are f sitting with so much fear and, and frustration. So sorry for jumping into solution mode. I'm <laughs> that's what I'm known for. Uh, but uh, it is the resistance that is creating not enough knowledge. Is it my responsibility? So to overcome, you need to bring this as a business requirement as well, and assign responsibilities across the business. So it's not only one department solving the vision, like future for the company. Yeah. I know, Victor, maybe you would like to add something. There's so many <laughs> questions, I don't know, maybe you want to... <laughs> Where's the microphone? Okay. Do we... Sorry. Yeah. Hey. Um, sorry. I had too much coffee, I'm a bit nervous. Uh, so my name is Rui Quinte, and I am a managing partner and creative director of a transformative design company based in Lisbon and Berlin. Um, so... Um, a lot of these um, topics uh, br bring uh, a few things to, to my mind. Uh, um, when you think about game A, this idea of game A versus game B, that we have to design new futures, that we have to think about new worlds, um, the difference between being the best in the world versus being the best to the world. Uh, and this brings kind of a core idea that is related with degrowth, right? So. And I think it's an interesting kind of a mindset because there's not kind of a, a set idea of what degrowth means to any of us. But uh, I think it implies a change from an economic perspective, meaning companies have to stop growing. How do your, uh, from an economic perspective, from a production, a productive perspective, like how do your clients, and I think this is a question for all of you, like how do the people in the companies you interact with are uh, in relation uh, to this, right? Are they willing to stop growing uh, mm. uh, at a certain point? And if they are, uh, what's the threshold? 
how do they take the decision uh, in a certain point in time to actually uh, stop? Hmm. I can go. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think the f first part, it's when we talk about future, it's about aspirations. And we, before we go into the growth topic, let's discuss what is actually needed and what is better for people and humanity. And, when, and that's why, for example, clean and affordable energy. We know that renewables is the solution, for example. And do we need to degrow now the companies which are coming with the solutions? No. But we need to secure that the companies which are growing are coming with the solutions and creating the value for the society. I think that's, I mean, the question is excellent. And I, and I think uh, without going into all the details about degrowth, I think it has opened up a discussion about what our economy is for and are we measuring the right things when we measure the size of well-being in a society. More to your direct question, I think you're right. Uh, and I think we need more innovation. We're going to need uh, to ramp up green energy, etc. The problem at the moment is that we're doing that at the same time as we're keeping the old structures in place. Right? So, so we're not, I mean, on a global scale, not replacing fossil fuel with green energy. Green energy is just being added on top of the other energy. Mm. So what we need, uh, besides from an innovation policy and innovation uh, discussion, is facing out. Like, what are the things that we need to face out? Mm. And face out with dignity, because people have their identities, their jobs associated to a lot of these industries, whether we talk about mining or fossil fuel industries. How do we do that? How do we speed up the de-phase out of certain activities and take care of the people that are, make sure that they don't feel left behind? It's too big of a job for a company. I've heard some companies are actually realizing that. We're going to, we will have to let these parts of the company go and dismantle them and build something different. So, but it's, it's low. Yeah, and I also thought of um, degrowth, indeed, a very interesting topic, of course. And what you also see now is that companies don't take uh, sustainability as their sort of core focus anymore. It's really focusing now towards regeneration. So you really should look into this uh, model within your business. That is, of course, still a niche, and people are learning on that. Um, however, wherever we can, we should indeed also take our roles from other sectors as well. So within the governments, we should really to take where we can change those policies. Within as our consumers' behavior should also help companies that are producing different products that, that take into consideration that regeneration perspective. So I think we all have a role to play here. And um, yeah, it, it also helps you uh, to, to go uh, restfully uh, to, to sleep at night if we all take uh, some of those decisions every day. Thank you. <clears throat> Question on the back. Hi, my name is Inje. I'm currently building a platform that helps um, startups with design and to implement design. And I was wondering for you, Tessa, um, because I have seen the logo of B Corp around Copenhagen. I really always wondered what that is. And what I experience with design is it's super important to uh, implement design and systems thinking from the very early on with startups. So I'm wondering if you're also, um, if you're open to startups at B Corp or if you have a special program for that. Thank you very much. 
Yeah, we don't have actually a special program. So every company can start with the same process, as I said. Take the step to, to, uh, to engage with that B impact assessment, and then you start running. You can do webinars and so on. There's actually also a Nordic team uh, who couldn't be here today. So if in case you really want to reach out, I, uh, I, you can reach out to me or else uh, I put in the Nordics uh, reference. But to come back to your question, um, startups are companies that generally take already a bit of a different perspective. So they form a large part of our movement. Uh, not only, we also have medium-sized and bigger companies. Bigger companies actually tend to now um, uh, increasingly uh, engage with us. But we uh, welcome startups uh, from, from, from everywhere. Uh, and, and we also see that there's a value in having, having for example, those mix in, in our community because the startup bring such an interesting new perspective on certain industries that can be um, uh, triggering uh, other parties in, in the value chain or in the industry to also to move. So that is why we really welcome the diversity of, of companies, all shapes and sizes, into our community. While the mic is being passed around, I have a question for you, Victor. You're talking about this urgency. Would you say that it's too late to reverse like some of the negative trends that you mentioned? Some climate scientists will say for some parts of the Earth system, yes, might be too late. I'm, I'm talking about the uh, melting um, <coughs> cryosphere, the ice uh, on, on the Arctic, etc. But from a human point of view, my, I think that the key insight from the way I interpret it is that it's not never too late to act in terms, uh, meaning that whatever tenth of degree that we manage to avoid and whatever millions or billions of, of corona that we invest in climate adaptation for people is not wasted. I mean, it, it's going to create better lives for people. So it's not late, but we need to speed up since we are talking about the corporate sector, the corporate sector is not going to be enough. I think you're front runners, but government, governments need to step up and, and make sure that they use your examples and, and make sure that all companies abide to the rules of the game that you have created. Otherwise, we, we will not see system changes. We have uh, one more question here. I have a quick question. Uh, I'm Xiao Xue from a uh, service liner from Public Sepian. Uh, I wonder, uh, it's a question to all three of you. Thanks for the presentation. And I think you all mentioned the measurement and also the equality. So I wonder also following the topic on the big corporates and the startups, what's the measurement need to be different considered to making sure it's still a fair game for different sides of business, different markets, different level of development, and also what the things should be universal consider is for one planet. Thank you. Yeah, uh, yeah. taking from the climate perspective that I will stay, uh, there is uh, the science-based target initiative which is actually guiding the big companies as well as smaller companies how to take action. And all the emissions, as we have individuals, as companies and uh, cities and so on, can be divided into scope one, two, and three, which is like scope one is all what are your direct emissions coming from burning fossil fuels or converting the land. Uh, then scope two is all energy-related emissions that you purchase. And scope three, it's all the stuff that you do and what is the impacting. So this framework with different scopes is guiding as well where to start with your sphere of influence when you are designing. 
that's from the reduction of negative uh, impact. But then you need to be as well opportunistic and say like, where is the business opportunity within the net zero uh, business where I'm relevant to come with the solution? So these two parts of measuring, I think it's very crucial. Can I add something? Yes. Yeah, also in the B Corp uh, process of becoming a B Corp and, and, and getting that certification, you will find that you will run into questions that will really take into consideration this, the social aspects of your value chain. Um, and while I'm standing here, we are actually also uh, changing our standards, so updating uh, them because it has been, uh, it's not f carved in stone, of course, such a standard. The contexts are changing, uh, SBTI, every other framework that is also important for us to, to, to be um, in, uh, incorporating in our certification. So this is also one of the aspects where we are currently really looking stronger into human rights, all those um, um, social values that a company should really put at the core of its uh, production and, uh, and sourcing process. So that's also part of our standard. Any additional comments from the panel? Well, on that note, uh, let's give a big warm applause to Carol Gobinski, Tana Fostoist, and Victor Galas. Thank you very much. <laughs>